Man, it's good to be back in the house of God today. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Oh, somebody ought to give God some praise again. God, you are good. Amen. I'm enjoying the presence of the Lord this morning. And I want to especially thank you for your prayers for me as I have been recovering from this recent surgery. They have made a difference, a huge difference. If anybody ever tells you that prayer doesn't work, tell them that your pastor has a story he can share with them that will let them know it does. Prayer makes a difference. God is our healer and God has been good to me and publicly And before everyone who is watching, and I welcome all of our online guests, thank you so much for joining us today around the world, wherever you may be from, drop a comment and let us know that. But I want to say this in front of this crowd and in front of everyone who is watching. I give God thanks because he is my healer. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness to me. You're so much better than I deserve. And I mean that sincerely. God is amazing. And I'll say a little bit about that before I conclude. But Pastor Andrew started a a series a couple of Sundays ago on mountains move. And man, he did a good job. I enjoyed that. I've enjoyed the preaching of all of our staff so much. If you're missing Wednesday night, you are missing some of the best preaching you could ever possibly hear. Danny Gutierrez. He didn't just preach last Wednesday. He knocked the cover off the ball and sent it out of the park. It was a grand slam. I enjoyed it so much. In fact, he, he doesn't know it, but he preached something. I'll be dealing with this in this series. And in this series, we're talking about mountains move. Any of you ever have any mountains in your life? Mountains that stand in your way. Well, let's read our text. Matthew 21, verse 15 through 17. And then verse 19 through 22. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. You ever have people who get upset because you're a worshiper? World doesn't understand why we worship God. They worship science. They worship the economy. They worship politics. Hey, I found out the only one worthy of my worship is the Lord. All that other stuff. mm -mm, It's a deception. And they said to Christ, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, I do hear. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise and And when he said that, he was quoting from Psalms chapter 8 and verse 2. Jesus quoted the psalmist David, but he didn't quote it the way that David wrote it. In Hebrew, what David actually said was that out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, that God has perfected strength. Jesus said that out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, that God has perfected praise. And so you have the psalmist David saying one thing, and then you have the son of David saying something slightly different. So which is it? Strength or praise? Amen. 
And why did Jesus use a different word than David? It's because the Hebrew word that David used in Psalms chapter 8 verse 2 can actually be translated praise as well. And you know why? It's because your strength is in your praise. Hallelujah. Listen to this. Because it's so important. Amen. When you praise God, you not only lift him up, but he infuses you with his strength. That's amazing. And it not only can be used to say praise, the word is sometimes even translated stronghold. So let me really put that together for you. When you praise God, your strength is in your praise and he brings you into his stronghold. <laughs> oh, I love that. The Lord is my refuge and my strength, my high tower that the enemy cannot get inside of. I'm protected in the palm of his hand. When I praise God, the enemy can't lay a finger on me. Oh, God is good, isn't he? Amen. And so that's why the devil tries to take your attention and focus it on your problem rather than your provider. He knows that if you worship, you're going to get strength and God's going to hide you in the strongholds. Amen. And the scripture goes on to say, then he left them and went out of the city of Bethany and he lodged there, left the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the temple. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also, if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. Yeah. Hallelujah. Look across the aisle at your neighbor and say, have faith and don't doubt. Come on, say it to somebody else. Have faith and don't doubt. Send out home and embrace your faith. Amen. Because it will change things. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, Jesus said, you will receive. Heavenly Father, I stand humbly before you today, needing your grace and your help. And I want you to please anoint the words that come from my mouth. I'm nothing but the vessel that is to be used today. And you're everything. And so I hide behind the cross and ask that you be glorified. And that you cause every person here to receive an impacting word that can tra transform their life, I ask in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. Mountains move. Mountains move. I have to tell you that I love the mountains. Anybody in the building love mountains beside me? Oh, man, the grandeur of the mountains is incredible because I've had the privilege to be invited and preach and train frontline leaders in front 
of some of the most spectacular vistas you've ever seen in this world and have literally been around the world training people in ministry. I've had the opportunity to see for myself the greatest mountains that exist from the Rockies to the Alps, to the Andes, to the Himalayas and others that I won't even mention. Places that people literally plan and save to go to on the vacation of a lifetime. You know, that kind of a thing. And this is going to be it. And they're going to, they're going to put all of their resources possible into going to this one place. I have been privileged to be able to go there in ministry. And it has been exciting. I've been stunned by the breathtaking beauty of Denali in the state of Alaska, the grace of the Matterhorn and Mont Blanc in the Alps in Europe, the regal splendor of Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. I've flown by it many, many times, been at its very base. Did I climb it? No. As long as there's an airplane around, I won't be climbing any mountains. Amen. The grandeur of Aconcagua in the Andes down in Argentina and Chile. And the incomparable magnificence of Mount Everest and even others like it, like K2 and the Himalayas and Nepal and Asia. I've had the privilege of seeing all of those. And it humbles me. There have been times that I've looked at these mountains and tears have streamed down my face. Because for someone raised in the flat bayou country of Louisiana with marsh mud between my toes, I never should have been able to see all of that. But you see, when you follow God, you never know where God will lead you and the doors he will open. You never know what God will cause to happen for you. Amen. Mountains are gigantic geological formations, upthrustings of the earth's crust, believed to be caused by the shifting and the buckling of the tectonic plates. They can be sheer and massive Kept in ice and snow, towering over us, often with their summits hidden in the clouds. And when you see mountains, I don't know what they do to you, but they remind me of how little I am, how small I am. One of the first trips that Jerry and I ever took in evangelistic ministry, we came down through North Carolina and through the Blue Ridge uh, mountains, the Smoky Mountains. And I, I was trying to drive and look out the window of the car at the same time. I mean, I'd never seen anything like that except when I was a little kid. My dad took me on vacation, but except for a couple of occasions when we were children, I, I, I was not used to seeing that kind of splendor. Mountains are amazing and they make you feel so small. They're beautiful to see in a distance, aren't they? But to cross them can be a formidable undertaking. I've always wanted to have property and look off in the mountains and see the mountains on one side and the march on the other. It just never worked out that way. I guess I'll get to do that when I get to heaven. Amen. But Mount Everest is the highest mountain in the world, towering 29,035 feet above sea level. Do you realize that is five and one half miles high? More than 300 people have died trying to climb Mount Everest. There are still an estimated 150 bodies that remain on the mountain. It's just simply too dangerous to remove them. They're up in the death zone. 
And if you try to remove them, that the, the, the added risk of you being able uh, to get back down the mountain safely is increased and they cannot be removed. But did you know that, that those kind of mountains, as beautiful as they are and as dangerous as they are, are also daunting metaphors for the problems that we face in life, the challenges that we come up against. I have faced mountains in my life. I wonder if there's anybody else in this building that has ever faced a mountain. Oh, some of them look beautiful, but when you get close, they're dangerous. And you, they stand in your way because mountains are obstacles between you and your assignment. You and your destination. You and where you're going. And have you ever noticed that the word destination has the word destiny right in the middle of it? It is because to get to your destiny, you've got to keep going. You will never reach your destination unless you continue to go. Amen. Tell somebody, keep moving. Would you do that? Tell him, keep going, keep going, keep going. You will never find your destiny if you don't. And you see, very many people never fulfill or even discover their destiny because they sh- stop short of their destination. You know why they stop short? Mountains. They become discouraged. They encounter a towering obstacle, a massive form of resistance. And they look at it and they become weary in well-doing. And they throw up their hands and they say, I can't do this. And they quit praying and they give up and they stop believing. You can't ever quit praying. You can't ever stop believing. You can't ever stop pushing. I need somebody to say, push on. Would you do that? You may not hardly be able to pick up one foot at a time and put it in front of another, but never give up. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. Did you see that? High calling of God in Christ Jesus. Mama Charlotte, I know you're home and I know you're watching this and And sweetheart, I love you so much. And she sent me word that I had to teach this morning. But I feel something moving in this place. And I'm going to try to hold the throttle back a little bit. But Lord, there's an anointing in this house right now. Tell somebody to press on. Press on. Press on. Press on. Keep pressing on. Don't quit. You can't stop. What is this mountain that Jesus spoke of? The strange thing about these verses is that when Jesus said that you could say to this mountain, be moved, he was standing beside a fig tree that he had just cursed because it had no fruit. A fig tree isn't a mountain. So what was the mountain that Jesus spoke of moving? There are three possible explanations that I would like for you to consider. One, he could have been talking about Mount Moriah. You see, because just across the valley from where he was at stood Mount Moriah, and on it was the temple. Mount Moriah goes way back in the history of the people of God. It was that mountain that God spoke to Abraham and said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, and go offer him for a sacrifice upon the mountain that I will show you. And Abraham trudged 
three days journey and climbed Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is the mountain that whenever David in his foolishness and his ego began to number the army of Israel thinking I've got such a big army I don't even need God to help me anymore. And God rebuked him and a plague came upon the nation. It was there on Mount Moriah at a threshing floor owned by a man named Aaronah that the angel of the Lord stood with his, his sword drawn and David fell on his face and offered a sacrifice and the plague was stayed. I'm talking to somebody that you need to know this. A mountain is a good place to get in touch with God. Amen. Don't you run from your battle because God might be waiting there ready to show up if you will press on. Press on. Press on. And I say Mount Moriah because the day before Jesus cursed this fig tree and made that statement about moving this mountain. He was on Mount Moriah. He was at the temple. The temple was built on Mount Moriah. And Jesus had overturned the tables of the money changers and, and platted a whip out of cards and drove them out of the temple and said, get out of here. Haven't you heard that my house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations and you have made it a den of thieves. And he chased them from the house of God. Now he was actually on his way back. To Mount Moriah. So the question is, was it Mount Moriah that Jesus was saying could be moved if you were to say to this mountain, get out of the way? He also could have been referring to the Mount of Olives because you see, Jesus and his disciples were staying with Mary, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in the town of Bethany. And Bethany was located two miles from Jerusalem on the eastern side of Mount Olives. And to get to Jerusalem and back to the temple, which is where he was going, he had to cross over Mount, the Mount of Olives, descend into the Kidron Valley, cross over the Brook of Kidron, and then climb up Mount Moriah until he reached the temple itself. And he was located on Mount Bethany when he cursed that fig tree. So was this the mountain that Jesus was saying could be moved? But on the other hand... There is a third possibility. He could have been speaking of the religious system that existed in Jerusalem. When he said, mountain, move. Why do I say that? Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the greatest force of opposition that he faced in the ministry that he had come to accomplish as their Messiah. They were the ones that were supposed to have received him. They were the ones that were supposed to have welcomed him. And instead they stood with their arms folded in arrogance and rejected him. He came to his own and his own rejected him. The Bible said they received him not. So was he actually referring to the religious system, I do know this much. The fig tree that he cursed was a symbol of the nation of Israel. Throughout the Old Testament era and, and in the Bible, even into the modern time, the fig tree is the symbol of the nation of Israel. When you go to Israel, and I've been there many times, over a number of the government buildings, you will see embossed into the stone of the building fig leaves and those fig leaves represent the nation of Israel and this is where the story becomes so vitally interesting and of such great concern 
I want to do a deep dive on this for just a moment. This is heavy stuff. So I want you to forgive me if I take just a moment and take a little detour. And I want us to visit that fig tree right there. Because you see, Jesus had come to his own. And as I said, his own received him not. The religious system of the world that existed that should have rolled out the red carpet of welcome. Instead nailed him to a cross. And Jesus had experienced this rejection for three and a half years and was about to be crucified. And so as Jesus is going back across the Mount of Olives to Mount Moriah. There's the fig tree. Jesus walks over to the fig tree and looks among its branches and leaves and there are no figs. And Jesus turns and says, let no man ever eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples are like, whoa, what's going on? This is really heavy stuff because Jesus didn't have a temper tantrum. He was trying to explain something. First Corinthians chapter number 15 and verse number 45. The apostle Paul tells us that Jesus was in reality the second Adam. The second. The first Adam failed. And because he failed, sin passed on to all of us. And the subsequent penalties of sin became an active factor in all of our lives. You see, before Adam sinned. He could walk up to any tree in the garden and there was always fruit on every tree because seasons did not exist in the garden. I don't know if you know that or not. Seasons came later. They did not exist in the garden. The reason there's only one season a year of fruitfulness, one season of harvest, one season of production in the course of a year is simply because Adam sinned. And God did not pronounce a curse on Adam. Adam brought a curse on himself. God's not standing ready to hammer you. Listen to me. When you choose to do what is wrong, you bring upon yourself the consequences of your decisions and your choices. Adam sinned and God sadly shook his head and said, the ground is cursed now, Adam. What you did cursed the ground. And it's going to bring forth thorns and thistles instead of food. It's no longer going to be productive. But he said, because I love you so much. And because I'm God, I'm speaking a word of grace over you. There will be one season every year of fruitfulness. God could have turned his back on Adam and let him live with the consequences of his actions. But instead, God introduced one season of fruitfulness where there had been an entire year of fruitfulness. Are you hearing me? Amen. Did you know in Revelation 22, the Bible closes by saying... That after sin is eradicated from the world, that once again the earth is going to experience fruitfulness 12 months out of the year. It says it, read it. Once again, when sin is gone, the world is going to once again experience 12 months of fruitfulness. January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, November, October, November, December, 12 months of fruitfulness. We're going to experience it again. So Christ came as the second Adam to undo what the first Adam did. That's the whole message of the Bible. God came to save us from the consequences of sin. To redeem us back to himself. 
as a second Adam, he came to fix what the first Adam broke. So when he walked over to that fig tree and pulled those leaves back as the second Adam, you know what should have happened? Fruit should have sprung out all over that tree because he was the creator. Oh, I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. Oh, hallelujah. But that tree was stubborn. No, I haven't produced fruit but one season a year. All of the years I've lived, my ancestors have not. And the creator of fig trees walked over, pulled the leaves back. And at that very moment, figs should have burst into, into existence. But they failed because that tree was out of alignment with apostolic authority. And Jesus looked at it and said, you're out of alignment. I'm your God in flesh. He was in the world and the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. That's what the scripture says. And when he walks over to a fig tree, there better be fruit all over it when he pulls the leaves back. But it was obstinate and stubborn. I'm not giving fruit because it still had the nature of sin. Hello, somebody. Here's where I'm coming from right now. Jesus cursed that fig tree. You know why he cursed the fig tree that day? Because it was a representation of what was happening among religious people in Jerusalem. They had no fruit. Instead of helping people find God, instead of opening the door and rolling out the red carpet, they were fighting and resisting the plan of God. And God said, there will never be fruit on you again I'm sorry I feel like preaching oh Lord I feel my anointing kicking in somebody give him some praise hallelujah hallelujah when you are out of alignment with God's word you cannot be fruitful I'm talking to somebody right now. Your marriage can't be fruitful. Your life can't be fruitful. Your business can't be fruitful. You say, but I'm doing pretty well. Yes, that's what the psalmist said in Psalm 73. He said, I saw the wicked prospering, but in a moment they were brought down. What you need to do is get in alignment with God and with God's word and with the Holy Spirit. Hello, somebody. I want to be in alignment with God. I want to be in alignment with God's plans for my life. I want to be in alignment with God's assignment for my life. I want my family to be in alignment with God. I'm talking to a daddy, right? I feel it in my my heart. I'm talking to a dad. Dad, you need to stand up and be the priest in your home and bring your home into alignment with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Well, I do my part. I can almost hear somebody thinking, I work hard, I go, I, I work on the job, I provide a good living for my family. Sir, that living won't mean anything if they lose their souls and they are not in relationship with God. Hello, sir, you need to be the priest to your family. I'm not being unkind, I'm loving you, I'm telling you, I'm talking to somebody at home. God's getting ready to send a revival into your house. God's getting ready to bring revival into you, your your family. Before Christ could fulfill his assignment, he had to curse the fig tree and get the mountain out of the way. And I'm already getting ready to close. 
He cursed the fig tree. It withered and died immediately, just as Christ did. We sometimes encounter mountains as we pursue our callings and our destinies. Yes, we do. And they're there to hold us back and limit our fruitfulness. I'm talking to somebody. You put effort into your life. You put effort into a career. You put effort into a marriage. You put effort into a ministry and it's going nowhere. You know why? You need to say, mountain, move. Mountain, get out of my way. Mountain, move. Hello, And this is what Jesus said. You know what you do to that mountain? You speak to it. Don't talk about it. Oh, I feel so bad. I got mountains. You're going to have to come over here and we'll drink a cup of coffee together. And we're going to share sad stories of how big the mountains are in our life. That's not what Jesus said. He said, you talk to it. You say to the mountain, get out of the way. Don't talk about it. Don't speak death over your own life. Don't speak death over your family. Don't speak death over your ministry. Speak life, but speak death to the mountain. Hallelujah. You need to speak death and failure to every strategy. That conniving, lying, low down, good for nothing devil is trying to implement against you. Speak death to it. Satan, you're withering and dying right now, just like that tree. Your plans are drying up. I'm cursing them in Jesus' name. You're trying to tear my marriage apart, but you're dying on the vine right now. Your roots are drying up. You may be in my way, but I want you to know right now, you're getting ready to be moved. I conclude by saying this, whatever your mountain may be, mountains can be moved. Yes, they can. Consider the true story of Hart Mountain. How many of you know Hart Mountain? Hart Mountain. Anybody? Hart Mountain is a towering 8,123 foot tall formation, 13 times the size of Manhattan Island. And it is located just north of Cody, Wyoming. It was originally a part of the Absaroka Mountain Range that stretches through western uh, 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 Wyoming and western Montana over into the eastern side of Idaho. It broke away from the rest of the Absaroka Mountain Range during a geological shift many, many years ago. That's Hart Mountain. No, that's not the right one. Put that. That's the Absaroka Mountains. But there we go. We'll get it up. You look at the top of it. Can you see how there's a little notch at the top? And look, it's got two ravines that go down the side of the mountain. One on one side, one on the other. Looks like a heart. That's where it got its name. Do you know what happened? There was a massive geological shift, volcanic activity. And a massive landslide occurred many, 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 many centuries ago. And so what happened is... The Hart Mountain broke away from the Absaroka Mountains. Put that picture up if you would right now. There's the Absaroka Mountain range in the distance, towering and massive. But whenever this earthquake occurred, Hart Mountain broke away. And I want you to listen because it's going to be hard for you to get. At a speed, geologists say, of up to 200 miles an hour, it shifted 62 miles to the southeast. 
You know how they know that? Because the mountain itself has been dated to be 500 million years old. That's how old the Absaroka Mountains are. 500 million years old. But when they test the rocks that are the foundation of Heart Mountain, they're only 55 million years old. Which means that you have an old mountain sitting on top of a new foundation. They said there was so much subterranean water back then that when the earth shifted, the mountain started sliding and came to stop where it's at. I can't help but believe that when Jesus told his disciples, you can say to this mountain, move, he was thinking of heart mountain. I'm talking to somebody, your heart needs to be moved. Oh my, I'm sorry. I I, I just, I, I need to, I need to slow down for you, not for me. I'm feeling good, but I, I, some of you are looking at me like, should we have the paramedics nearby? No, baby, I'm doing fine. Unless you need the paramedics for yourself. Because God's working in this place right now. Hallelujah. That massive landslide moved a mountain 62 miles away. And I can't help but think Jesus must have had it in mind. And you know what I I love about this? That's exactly what he did for me and for you when he saved us. He took us off our old foundation, moved our heart, and set it on a new foundation. The foundation of Jesus Christ. Hello. 1 Corinthians 3 and 11. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Amen. Oh, Lord. He changed my heart. He moved me and placed me on a new foundation. I'm not on the foundation I used to be on. You hear me, devil? Mountains can move. People can be changed. Situations can be changed. Lives can be changed. Careers can be changed. Breakthroughs can come. I want somebody to say mountain move. So what is your mountain? First thing you must do is identify your mountain. You've got to know what it is. So what is the challenge you're confronted by? What's holding you back? What's keeping you from breaking free and taking off from God for God? Is it discouragement? Have you stood at the base of that mountain of discouragement and said to yourself, I've tried to get over it and around it and I just can't? Discouragement. Have you become tired, weary in well-doing? Have you lost your motivation, your spark? Have you lost it? The passion you need to continue. Do you need God to revive you? 
Because of that mountain of discouragement. Or is it opposition? Am I talking to somebody in the room right now? If it weren't for opposition, you would be doing so well. But you've got a supervisor, a landlord. Hello, somebody. A neighbor, somebody that's opposing you. You need God to intervene. You're pursuing your destiny. But it seems like every time you get close, opposition pops up. Or maybe, wait a minute, maybe your mountain is temptation. Every time you get ready to step out for God, temptation shows its ugly head again. And you're struggling. And you sit here today and you love God with all of your heart. And God loves you with all of his heart. But you're struggling. You're dealing with issues in your life. Is it an appetite? Something within you that's about to overwhelm you and cause you pain? You can't give in. I need somebody to shout, mountain move. Would you do that? Say it again. Mountain, you're moving today. You're moving today. Don't just say mountain move. Say mountain, you're moving today. Is your mountain bitterness or past hurts? Am I talking to somebody that your mountain is something that occurred so many years ago that you hardly even remember the incident, but the pain and the scars are still there and you still react to certain buttons that can be pushed and and the enemy knows all of the buttons, doesn't he? I mean, he knows the buttons. Yes, he does. We might be as complex as that soundboard back there and I wouldn't even know which button to touch to turn it on but the enemy learns the buttons in your life or is it a health condition and I really am done I've been there (laughs) if you're wondering what I'm talking about let me briefly explain in conclusion without calling attention to me but rather point you toward God I was born with a genetic anomaly in my heart didn't know it Man, I used to be a gym rat, spent hours in the gym. My best bench press was 465 pounds. That was back in the day, amen. Trust me, I can't do that anymore. It hurts me just to look at it now. Amen. All those accidents, four fusions in my neck, eight rear end accidents. I've had 32 surgical procedures. But 27 years ago in the month of May, I began to experience ventricular tachycardia and had 50 episodes. They didn't know that that's what it was because the cardiac surgeon told me later, 20 seconds, you at the floor, 40 seconds, you're gone. He said, we might be able to resuscitate you if we get you fast enough. But mine were timed at over 70 seconds. He said, sir, you would have been dead if you were not as in good a shape as you were. You can call it being in good shape. It was my spiritual shape that kept me alive. It was the God I served. Amen. And I was preaching in the old building and collapsed in the first service on the platform. And man, they rushed me to the hospital and they put me on just a, a, I guess it was a general floor because they looked at me and said, you can't be having a heart problem. But I was and they put a halter on and I had another episode and man, all the bells and the lights and everything going off and they rush into the room and carry me up to the cardiac floor. And they did an angiogram and the surgeon came and told me the results. He said, sir, you got to have open heart surgery now. 
And I said, well, I'm going to go home and think about it. He said, nope. He said, nope. You see this piece of paper? You're going to have to sign this, absolving us and releasing us from all, all, as it were, implication of, of wrongdoing. Because he said, if you leave and go home, you will not come back. You will die. So that's what you're going to do. You're going to die. And I said, I said, okay. So I had open heart surgery. And they bypassed the genetic anomaly. What was happening, layman's terms, is the main coronary artery was collapsing shut like this. Just like a weak drinking straw. Well, they thought they got it all until a couple of months ago. And I went at a checkup and they said, you need to have another open heart surgery. Because we didn't get it all. They did another angiogram. And so they did it. And the way I look at it is the first one added 27 years to my life. So you guys are going to have to put up with me a long time now. Amen. Amen. Maybe you're facing a health condition, but I can tell you this, mountains move. I am living proof of the fact there is a God that moves mountains. Give God some praise in the building.